0: I am so nervous because the size of the audience, the size of the event, the names attached to it, it's huge. At the time, I'm 17, I don't know how to deal with this. Whilst I look a million dollars in this suit, I actually never knew what to do. To get on the phone and say, oh, listen you, you've got an hour to get in. If you don't get in, I'll be at your front door. I have always ran a high-performing team. With my team, I'm very much a coach. I like to quiz, I like to delve deeper.
1: And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. Um, today, I have a guest that you'll have heard a lot about, but he's done a lot, and we finally get the chance to peel back some of the layers that he that he has, and to hear a bit more about him, about his his journey and his story. And without further ado, I'm going to ask my guest to introduce themselves, but tell me who you are what you're about but giving your name last okay so i'm a managing director for
0: a recruitment agency based in birmingham uh what i'm about i'm about performing to the best of my ability and having my team perform to the best of their ability i'm all about coaching i'm all about learning and more importantly i'm all about having fun uh I love to have a laugh. Um, I want my team to smile when they work. Um, and I want the world to smile when they work. Uh, my name is Dan Braithwaite,
1: Director, Managing Director. Daniel Braithwaite in the house. Come on now. Give me them titles, man. Come on. I'm very lucky. Uh, yeah, all I'm right, all right. Dan
0: Braithwaite, Managing Director, Per Temps Network Catering. I'm um, um, Managing Director for a brand that's in the Pertemp's Network group who are the largest independent recruitment agency in the UK. Um, I took directorship in end of 2018 at the age of 34 years old, uh, one of the youngest directors in the company. Um, And I've been in situ um, as a director since then, but with Pertemps now for nine and a half years. Um, So yeah, that is my short introduction. Uh, honestly, Chopin, this is a show where we both speak, but I could have like, taken the lead there. <laughs> oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. You know
1: what? Yeah, I, I actually wanted you to... I wanted to emphasize that point. I'm glad you actually went in there, the fact that you are one of the youngest manager directors um, in the country. I think it's something that is very inspirational and aspirational. And a lot of times, either when we're in something, we don't think about it, and it's like, oh, it's just something I do. But actually, it's something that a lot of people are like, wow, like even at that age, that's that's really, really dope. And it was interesting when I started to look a bit more into you and found out some stuff that when you were younger, you wanted to be a performer or entertainer. Correct. So, wow, were oh, you reading the new research? Come on now, come on, come on. I'm not listening our two hours. you are going to do this, we're going to do this properly.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So, it, well, it's funny, actually, because when I think back to that sort of my early, early days, I very much was a performer. So I was raised in the church. Um, so I went to Sunday school. My nan was a seven-day Adventist. Um, so not only was I at Sunday school, I was also in the choir. Um, I also sang in a national choir called Sandvik Choir. Uh, so I used to sing. Uh, my voice wasn't this deep. It was a. I could reach these notes that I reach now, unless somebody kicked me somewhere. Uh, <laughs> in addition to that, I also done um, performing arts, so a lot of drama. Um, but I got into recruitment at a very, very young age, um, which kind of put that performing arts element of me to the side. But I guess I look at the the world of work as my my new stage and my platform. Um, so yeah, if I, that was my biggest passion, sort of growing up and what I thought I wanted to do. I don't believe anybody uh, before the age of 17, 18 really understands what a recruitment agency is or what a recruitment consultant is. So I don't believe it was a career choice as such. Um, I, I, it was something that I morphed into. But, yeah, my big thing was um ultimately performing arts. I like that you know that not a lot of people not a lot of people know that, but what's funny about that show is now uh, or recently, I've been asked to do um a few keynote speaking events, and I've been asked to speak at a, an upcoming event in in the next few weeks um which honestly, I am so nervous. And I'm, when I say I'm nervous, I'm nervous because the size of the audience, the size of the event, the names attached to it, it's huge. And I've never done that before. But what I also know is outside of your comfort zone is where the magic happens. So when I look at all of the things that I'd done in my childhood, um, being a, a prime role for a play, Singing a number of ballads on my own in a play, singing um, in a choir in of thousands. When I look at that, I believe that makes me more comfortable when I'm finally doing those talks. So leading up to it, nervous. Yeah, yeah. N- ner- I've been thinking about the Black Business Show for the last month, nervous that I'm talking there. But the truth is, once I'm probably on the stage, I'll be fine um, and I will put that predominantly down to your research and what
1: you found out in that growing up performing arts was my thing. Do you have like um, someone that you looked up to that inspired all of that or was it just the environment that you liked being in?
0: My my auntie so my auntie um, and, and a name Sheila Braithwaite she won't well, not many people know of her but she was a, a backing singer for a number of bands she sang on uh BBC Children in Need, um various different events that were held at uh some of the BBC Studios in Birmingham she sang at. So for me, she was somebody who pushed myself and my cousins into into the arts. And as a family, we my family were 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 huge. Every weekend you were at Nan's and there was 12 of us cousins in the house or dancing, performing, doing something. So I guess what that did was build up that confidence to talk and confidence to have a voice. Um, So I've had that from a very young age. Admittedly, I was shy. I don't know how I was shy. But when I look at my own children, I see it, because my daughter is shy. My son isn't, but my daughter's shy. But as she grows, I see her kind of cling out of her shell. So I believe that was that was myself as well. But I was always a performer on stage. Um Joseph and the amazing technical dream co, I played Joseph. Uh, there's a number of solo uh, performances in that play. Um and that I done at the age of nine, ten. So from yeah, from a very early age, I was doing the whole standing up in front of a group of people and giving it my all, sort of, if you want to call it that. So what's happening now I'm just so excited because it, it 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 it
1: ties into sort of my foundation if you want to call it that it's amazing for that that's almost come full circle now whether when you're talking about preparing you for you might fill into recruitment but having the confidence to go through that from a very young age and being in front of people especially going into your teenage years, um there's a lot of like confidence and resilience stuff like that really, really builds. And I think, I'm curious actually here, and when you say you fell into recruitment, how did you move in or falling into recruitment and you having that background prepare you to, to step into a world where, in theory, you are performing in front of clients on a regular basis? So how that happened for me? So the
0: age of 16, um, I went to a government training provider. Uh, for A-levels and I was going to do a MVQ Level 3 in business administration um which would have it was sort of like a fast track to get into uni at the time because I thought if I go and do this course for a year get my A-levels then I'm ready to go to uni and what happened was um, the government training provider in order to get you ready, also send you out for interviews in the world of work. So I got sent to an estate agents. Um, I never got that position. Um, it clearly wasn't meant for me as well. Uh, and that, I look at everything very much like that. If it's meant for me, the door will open. If it's not, it'll stay shut. Um, so I went for that interview, and uh, I was a close second. That's also they say. <laughs> I was, a, I was a close second at that interview, um, and then after that, they sent me to uh, a recruitment agency, and I'll never forget, so my mum lives in London, and I live in Birmingham, so I remember calling my mum, got this interview, it's a recruitment agency, um, and I did well, and I got the role, so my mum was like, oh, well done, I'm going to come up and buy you some shirts and suits, and was fact yeah cool so my mom relocated to London when I was 12 13 so again not a lot of people know that about me as well that I went through that early sort of separation from my main caregiver and then had to sort of stay resilient whilst not losing track of what I wanted out of life um so my mom came up anyway got me a suit got me a shirt um shoes and I looked a million dollars if I do say so myself Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> what happened, pay The recruitment agency that I was working at, do you remember back in the day, you'd walk down the high street and the recruitment agency would have the boxes on the wall and the job cards were in the wall? So um, I was asked one day to clean the box. So I'm going to, I have no issue doing busboy jobs. So I've gone out, opened the box. And when I looked at the cards, I'm like, Oh my gosh, people put new job cards in this thing every week, but they hadn't cleaned it. We're talking years, the amount of moss and just grime. And at the the time, I'm 17. I don't know how to deal with this. Do I walk back in there and cuss them out? And how dare you? Like, do I give them this young attitude from the block, the ends, they'll give them ends at each dude for asking me to do this whilst I look a million dollars in this suit, how dare you, so I actually never knew what to do and uh, (laughs) I just walked away at my lunch break so I stood out, studied hey listen we're not perfect, I'm not perfect, right? I stood outside on my lunch break Bear in mind I'm 17 years old, so we're going back 21 years I'm 38 dad. And I stood outside and uh gave it 10, 15 minutes. And I walked back in. Yeah, everything's done. <laughs> and the manager at the time was like, okay, no problem. Go for your lunch break. When you come back, we'll find you some more stuff to do. I think at the time I'd been there about two, three weeks. So I went on my lunch break and I phoned my um the job trainer provider a woman who actually I'm still very, very close with today, a lady by the name of Lynette Douglas. Um, And I called Lynette. And I said, Lynette, I'm going on, I'm going on. She's like, what's happened? So I've told her, you know, it was all that, excuse my French here. Do they think I'm a... Do they think I'm this? Do they think I'm that? Do they think I'm this? Um, As I've never knew how to navigate the workplace at that time. You know, if you're unhappy with something or the need to express uh, frustration, I never knew how to do that. So I just walked away. And that was my first ever sort of, right, this isn't for me, but I I don't know how to deal with it. So I just walk away. I then got given another opportunity um, at uh, an agency called Blue Arrow. And I went into Blue Arrow and luckily for me, the team um, that I interviewed with were very receptive to coaching and training me because I was still going through that party Thursday through Sunday, calling sick on a Monday. Um, And my mentor at the time, a lady by the name of Claire Downs, was very much to get on the phone and say, oh, listen, you, you've got an hour to get in. If you don't get in, I'll be at your front door and I'll drag you in. And when I drag you in, you'll be hungover on your desk, but I'll buy you a breakfast sandwich as well. So, what she did, she taught me that to show up, always show up, because we're human at the end of the day. Yeah, but I never got it. At at this age, it was a case of, yeah, I went out partying the weekend. I'm, I'm tired. It's Monday. It's easier for me to call in sick. And what was, e- what was easier was for me to turn up, tell them that I'd been out on the weekend and have them educate me on the right way to behave. Um, and that's these are lessons that if I have a trainee individual in my business now, I'm aware of some of the things that may come from that. Um, and one thing I'm always willing to give that person is time because that was afforded to me. Um, and I will ne- never forget the individual that I'll, i was and what made me a better individual and it was time compassion um and a bit of understanding of who i am why do you
1: think they did that for you though know? because it's not everyone they would do that for so do you think there's something that you were already show in or was it your personality there was something about you that they recognize that you know what he's got something but we need to like fine tune it
0: i can tell you what it was and, and this is my philosophy to even this day. Um, I'm not afraid of any task. If there's a project, I want to get involved, even if I don't know what it's about. I want to get involved. I want to do it. I want to learn. Um, when I went into that business, I spent time asking everybody about the facets of their role, facets of their job, what it involved, what it meant, and the impact of it. And what quickly transpired was I had a entrepreneurial mind set um. So when you're 16, 17 going into these places from the government funded training scheme I think the payment's about 45, 50 pound a week and what I started to do was I went and sat on the training for silver service which is a style of waiting Um, and I of an evening and a weekend I used to book myself into shifts so what they knew is I worked Monday to Friday in the office But I could see all the shifts on the system, so I registered myself and booked myself into those shifts. So I was working of evenings and of the weekend, because I wanted some more money. I wanted to understand sort of how the world worked. I wanted to get a variety of different experiences. I've done washing up. I've potwashed at large events. Um, I've been a waiter. I've been a general assistant. I've been a support chef. I've done absolutely everything in the sector that I work. Um, other than actual chefing because you have to be qualified or experienced but every other category barman, cocktail waiter I've done it all Um, so from a young age I think they saw I had this drive to make money and in recruitment with all due respect that's what it's about, it's about making money and people say oh surely it's about finding people a job I can do that from a job centre where there's no money involved However, for a recruitment agency, there's money involved. So it's that pressure of always having to deliver, always having to perform. And that, I think, was what made them take a bit more time with me. Um, It was the fact that I was keen, I was eager, but I was also young, probably still a little bit stupid, um, a little bit reckless in areas in terms of going out on a Sunday night, knowing I've got to be at work for seven o'clock on Monday. Come on, who does that? right but there uh, gone that was that was me for a bit um and you know to God rest his soul the guy that hired me at the time he passed away not christmas uh, 22 christmas 21 um he he really was patient with me because he didn't have to be but he was however his number two who's my mentor a lady called Claire Downs who Now, in her own right, is um, a director with another large recruitment business. Um, She, and I still actually speak to her to this day, she, I think as well, I was her protégé, so to speak. So I believe he probably would have got rid of me. I think it was her. I think it was her that kept the wolf from the door. I believe that's what happened. Um, Hence why, if I called in sick on a Monday... I'd get a phone call back within ten minutes saying, Well, really? listen, get in. Well, if you ain't in, I'm gonna get in because unbeknownst to me, she was probably putting her neck above the parapet. Um so I'm I'm never gonna be one of those individuals that believe I've got to where I've got to just because of me. No. Um definitely there's been a community of people that helped me get to where I am and will help me probably further on in my career as well. Um
1: and it's always a community. There's something that we were talking about earlier on that just came back to me. And we were talking about um, let's call it likability. And I think that's something that when I listen to you talk and you listen to me talk about like Claire taking on their wing and stuff like that, you even you, you must have been a likable character for for them to be like for her to be like listen, yeah. I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be on your neck. Because you're a 17-year-old kid. You can get anyone in. So, there's, you are likable. And bear in mind,
0: this is 2001, 2002. Claire is a young white woman. She, you know what I mean? She, got, she had time for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I likability is a key thing. And as I say to everyone, I'm amazing. I love this energy. Come on. <laughs> I'm amazing. You just... You just... You just got to check in. Check in. <laughs> Checking. And there's. I've got enough to give. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. And I always. No matter what room I walk into. And I, I've done it. And I've been. I've been scolded for doing it. I've been. um I wouldn't say praised for doing it. But commended. Because I know I'm a lot. Depending on my crowd. Depends on how I introduce myself into a room. So if I know a room. I'm louder because i know the room if i don't know the room i'm a lot i'm a lot quieter and when my confidence starts to come out i apologize for it that's what i've been scolded for in the past but by people who know me they've commended me yeah yeah, yeah. good good you catch yourself in there. It's, like, it's like a double-edged sword it's tough um but yeah likability is key and i always talk about it that it's a skill that people don't talk about it because ultimately it's biased um yeah I hired him because I like him I didn't hire her because I didn't like her you know it's you, you can't use the word like really professionally and um, but it's there I think the professional word for like is rapport isn't it we have a really good rapport in other words I just like working with that person but yeah it's um my confidence is is one of those things that's there when I know what I'm talking about. When I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm willing
1: to use these more than I am this. Um, So yeah, yeah. Which is a good level of self-awareness though, because there are people who are loud regardless of the environment and they don't stop and think about, okay, I'm in a different space. Let me assess, let me see what's going on. Let me me fall back and, and listen. They just do them regardless. So you have that level of self-awareness to be able to be like, the certain environments where I can be like, yep, super comfortable and do me. There's certain environments where I just need to fall back and listen, and then I might bring that energy in. So even being able to go back and forth, and that in itself is actually a skill, which not everyone has. Yeah, uh, thank you.
0: And I think w- w- where that comes from is my parents. So my, my mom is corporate, professional, always has been. Uh, recently, she used to work for the uh, Her Majesty then she ended up working for the home office now she works for a law firm uh whereas my dad is completely the other end of the spectrum um warehouse background man of the earth um wheeler dealer sort of thing so I think I had a very good uh best of both worlds kind of growing up if that makes sense i got to I got to see how how you had to be in a I don't want to say male-dominated environment which warehouses were back then but I want to say I knew how to change how I approached the room based on the audience my dad and mom used to call it the chameleon effect so can you do what a chameleon does which is blend into the room and um, now like I'm a big guy so blending anywhere is hard and I'm loud as well, and I'm loud as well. But Knowing how to position yourself and how to conduct yourself in the right environment was was a big learn for me because, again, my is a lot. And what I had to learn is if I want to be at a director level, I'm going to have to know when to listen. Um, yeah, it's key. Listening's key. Um, we've all got opinions, you know... Um, but being able to listen and listen effectively, without having a, a counteraction or a, a rebuttal for what you're being told, is 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 massive, um, and would help anybody develop. I believe that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard skill to master.
1: If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcasts, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. Yeah, and um, I guess it's we talk about even you rising to the level you've you've risen to, how have you managed to stay intact and stay you whilst rising in the corporate ladder in a very relatively short space of time actually?
0: So I I'm I'm an um I believe in switching off and I believe that plays a part in me staying true to Dan Braithwaite, who Dan Braithwaite is, and who Dan Braithwaite was before the director of in a corporate business. Um, but that, I, it's the rules. You have to have rules, uh, and I understand that the older you get, the less rules you tend to have, but rules are good, because it gives you structure and... Um, and one of my big rules is when I leave my office, unless the call is from my chairwoman, I do not check my emails. I will not answer a business call on purpose because I've left. I'm done for the day. I'm now Dan Braithwaite without the job title attached. Um, my job title is not the Bill and Lindor of who I am. Um, I do a lot. Outside of work, Um, I kickbox three, four times a week. I go to the gym, I've got children, Um, I've got a family, Um, I've got, I always get this wrong, 10, 11 siblings, Um, So a lot of nieces, a lot of nephews. Um, I've got a lot of responsibility on my shoulders as one of the, well, the oldest brother in my family. And then again, Doing so well professionally. So you have to switch up. I I have to. It's I think if I didn't, I'd have more grace So believe me, this is without die. This is without die. Just you aware. This is without that. I've, I've got a bit, I've got a bit, I'm not gonna deny it. Hey, silver fox, I'm not gonna deny it. But I believe I've kept them away by having those rules for myself. So for example, last week I was on annual leave Thursday, Friday. And I'd done my LinkedIn post on the Tuesday, and I sat there and I was like, right, my other LinkedIn post I said, but I'm on annual leave. I'm on it, so there's my the two things conflicting. I've said I'm going to do two posts minimum, but I'm also on annual leave. What, what is most important to me right now? The rule that when I'm not at work, I don't, I don't care about my brand or the work or. Not that I don't care, but I don't do I don't do anything to affect that. I just wanna be Dan the dad or Dan the brother or you know, just a, just a normal member of society, not Dan the director who has to um be politically be politically correct five days a week between the hours of seven thirty and five thirty. That is a long period of time. Um so evenings are mine, weekends are mine to just do what I want to do, um, wear my caps, wear my trainers. I've got a trainer collection to die for. I'm one of those kinds of, of guys I like to For sure. What's your favourite? What's your favourite trainers? I'm a Nike man. I'm a Nike. I'm, I've got red buttons. And- What's in Jordans? Yeah, yeah. I've got some Jordans. I've got Jordans. But, okay. So my daughter, I've got my daughter now into it tra- God knows why I got her into trainers, man. Because all I get now is pictures. Yeah, that This, this. Um I'm a Nike man uh historically. I love, 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 love the TNs. Um, they were my favorite design. Even when I look back to I don't know if you remember the original blue, blue and yellow ones. I do right. So TNs for me, the design, the original colorways are the best. Um I brought them when they came out I re brought the OG ninety-two Hirachis when they came out. So basically remember them the white, green and yellow ones. Um, I've still got them. I'm an anything Nike is me. That's me am I d I'm I'm I've got uh shocks. I've got I've got the frontals. Do you
1: remember the frontals? They were the, they were the summer vibe though. they were the summer vibe. They were the summer vibe, yeah, but still The summer vibe. Come on. Come on, man. It's your three month
0: wear thing, mate. I get to wear it June, July and August. After that, but um but yeah, I got the front pulls. That's my that's my thing. I did go through the whole designer shoe stage, red buttons, and what is um Ben Burners and if I'm honest with you, I find that actually very boring. Um yeah, I find it very boring. Um there's only so much spikes that can like that will be you know and there's only so many times I can go to Harvey Nicks and part with that kind of money, walk out and think that it's a smart investment. Um, it's not a smart investment. It, you, you don't. You hardly wear them. You wear them once every blue moon. And yes, they're nice to have, but I guess everybody values different things. Um, and I don't value those things as much as I used to. I did used to, but I don't know Now, I'd rather spend that money on Boohoo Man, get loads of tracksuits.
1: I'm a dad. I'm a dad. you got to understand... <laughs> You know what, honestly, I I get it. I say the same thing, my, son, my son's now 16. So he comes with that. He's, in that. he's in that phase where he wants to spend money on stuff. And I'm like, one, you're not working. So if you want to buy something, I have to buy it myself. So you need to go and figure that one out. But two, I, I get it. Because I remember when being in his age, head to toe designer. That was the thing. But as I grew older... And obviously I had a family or that kind of stuff. So I was like, this is long. I don't, why am I advertising Next man's label? Unless it's an, uh unless I've got an investment in the company, I'm good. So let me wear my tractor bombs and just, and just circle easy. So I'm very much like that nowadays. Yeah,
0: I, mate, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, I guess I it for my daughter because I, I created the beast, if you know what I mean? So my, I take my daughter shopping Foot like a JD and we walk walking and she'll pick something up and I'll be like yeah I don't like them <laughs> I don't like them. I'm not buying them I'm not buying them these Jordans look nice yeah I like them dad what about those those oh yeah yeah they're nice and what my daughter never realized is how good I am at picking her trainers <laughs> for her because she will look at something in store and then I'll go and get a, a limited edition colorway online something like that um so that's our thing between me and her if you know what I mean our our connection because I'm not with a, a mother so we talk a lot obviously about school and about work and but then when it's like down to our likes we my daughter has my yeah it's trainers and comedy so we watch a lot of um I don't know if you know the show Wylan yeah, yeah so my daughter's 12 she turns 13 in three four weeks um so yeah, we, we 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 watch that and we laugh and we we do dances and yeah we do a lot of that. Now I've never given, for example, the LinkedIn world an insight into my family, my children, who they are, what they look like, you know. Um, but I will be, so don't worry.
1: That's dumb, I, I, honestly, I love hearing fathers in particular um, talk about the the nice things they do with their kids and what's their thing. Um, because it's, I think it's, for me, it's very, it's very special and unique. Um, like with, some, for example, my daughter will go shopping with um, with my wife and I'm like, daddy can come. They're like, my daughter's like, no. Daddy's going to be like, you can't wait. Cause I'm very much like, what are you wearing that for? What's the rest of it? Like, that's, that's, I'm, I'm old school. Like that. But then on, and there's other days where the other stuff where we just do and we just sit down and just be busting for a joke. Or on Wednesday mornings, I take it to school and that ride is just literally us, um, Radio really 1 Extra on music in the background and taking stupid Snapchat selfies. Where i just like, I look like an idiot, but she likes it. And that's that's and that's our thing. So those little things are what form that bond and relationship, as well as the normal parents and stuff, of course. But 100
0: percent. I mean, I'm the dad. I So growing up or even into my early sort of adulthood, 18, 19, 20, 21. I used to watch my wife and kids. So Michael Kyle, to me, I was like, I wanna be a dad like him. <laughs> I wanna I wanna give my children a good life. I wanna give them good life lessons. But more importantly, I wanna laugh with them. Yeah. And with my with my daughter and my son. Uh, my son's only one, but his his personality is bigger than mine, so watch out world. Well I'll, my my next LinkedIn post is actually gonna be about my kids. Um, and that's going to be on the weekend, so you'll, you'll be able to see. But um, my daughter, her her personality is very much... She is another me. Um, and we had, I think, a really deep heart-to-heart about five years ago. About Because I, I live in Birmingham. She lives um, in an area called Kidderminster, which is probably about 20 miles from Birmingham, but... Not, not in the city, and you know we were talking about health well being not in that way. She didn't want to do gymnastics anymore. Was bored of dance, and you know myself and our mom have put her in everything. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And my daughter wouldn't hurt a fly. pay she's like so soft and gentle and loving and. You know, she come to me one day and she's like, Dad, I want to do this. And she's got my phone and turned it around. And it was a, a young American girl absolutely destroying a set of pads. Boxing, set of pads. And I
1: remember looked at and I was like,
0: what? Like I just didn't, you know, you don't expect your child to tell you they want to do something that you don't see them doing, but What you see them doing and what they want to do sometimes are two different things. So she was like, yeah, and if I start, Dad, I want you to start because I used the box before. So I was like, all right, then, cool, no problem. You know, at this stage, I wasn't training. I wasn't weightlifting or anything. The belly was growing, but the arms and muscles were. So I was just hoping that she'd forget about it, you know, go off and (laughs) leave me just to put on another few stones. Like, yeah, cheers, babe. (laughs) But she didn't, mate. Um... I think it was approximately... i would had her a few more times. And then, I think it was in the January of 19. She phoned me up one day. Dad! Dad! I'm like, yeah? She's gone, I've just finished my first taekwondo lesson.
1: <laughs> oh, I gotta do this. <laughs>
0: I'm accountable to my children more than anybody else in the world. And she, she... She said, now that I've started, <laughs> you've gotta start henceforth why I know kickbox. So she started taekwondo. The day after I started kickboxing. I'm now a purple belt in kickboxing, so I've got two brands and then I'm a black belt and my daughter's now a black belt in Taekwondo. And that was but that was born from her. And I think the key lesson for me was when you agree something with your children or collaborative working or partnerships are always better than I'm telling you to do or do as I say, not as I do, yeah? Um, which can be, I, I think when I grow up, when I grow up, my parents were very much a, do as I say, not as I do, because we tell you. Whereas I think now, um, parenthood is is a bit more collaborative. You have to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Even with your children, certain things are non negotiables. But when your child says, I wanna fight, and you go, okay, and she's like, If I fight, you fight, and I go, okay, and I don't expect it, and then actually she called him saying, I've had my first lessons, what about you? Yeah, I need to I need to make sure that I I hold myself accountable and do what we agreed because I'm the first example of a man for my daughter. Right, so to me, there's certain things that, like I said, they're non-negotiables. I wouldn't. I would be like Jayla, my daughter's name is Shayla. I'd say to her, "No, absolutely not. I don't agree with that. You're not doing that." However, something that's about your health and well-being, which she took the first step, I, I can't not do what I now do. I can't now, and as long as she continues, I have to continue. <laughs> you change changing young, know, I love it and I do enjoy it, but I don't think I would ever have got involved or started or restarted fighting um, for sport if my daughter hadn't, so yeah and my son, I'm pretty sure he's going to have some, some requirements of me, so my son's one, but he, his personality is so big, Chopin, and I actually know he's He is me unfiltered right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Um, He's got a lot to say. He's talking. He's pretty much party training himself. (laughs) He he tells us I've had a... Or whatever. Um, Project Mbappe started. He's got football. Listen, I brought... In the house, we've got... In my kitchen, i got a centre island. So I brought him a car a little Mercedes thing and he drives it, but he drives this car like he's Lewis, skids it around the corners and stuff like that. Then I put a mini net, so not even a big net, a mini net in the garden, balls, he's got bricks, Lego, everything, everything, everything. This kid loves the football and not because I make him kick the ball. He don't throw it, he kicks it, he dribbles the ball, he's won, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what, what comes of this because it was never yeah it was never a want of mine it was never a I want my son to play football it was just we buy everything we put it all down and, and let them choose and he he
1: loves cars and he loves he's football you might you might you might be a taxi driver and the next the next chapter because they are gonna be either taking him back and forth to football football matches or back and forth around the country for Formula a formula one racing so local GP or something that so
0: I don't I don't I don't know but ultimately again there's no expectation on him and as I said to my daughter um I just want you to be the best version of yourself I want to raise decent human beings um academically if you're gifted you're gifted if you're not you're not I just want to make sure that you do your best um and as long as you do your best when you give a hundred percent I'm happy with whatever the results are. I'm a big believer in if you're going to do something, do it, do it properly or don't do it at all. I'm very, like I said, I'm very black and white. I don't do halves. I don't do, oh, I'm going to start it today and I might pick it up tomorrow or the day. No, no, no. If you're going to do it, do it, do it till completion. Um, And for example, that's something that will be a non-negotiable with my children as they grow when they're young, they'll pick up stuff and drop stuff off. But as they grow, I'll be like, Right, if you choose to do that, see it through.
1: Yeah, see it through. It's important. Do you extend that same way of thinking to your work staff?
0: I'm I again, um I I've always ran uh, a high performing team. Uh, we always finish in the black at end of the year, net profit do budget, and and so far I've kept my uh, board happy. My key thing is, if you're not giving me 100% when you're in here earning money, you're drilling holes in my boat, and I can't have anybody
1: drilling holes in my boat because that means we all sink. So how do you create the environment that helps people do their best work, just like for example you did with your daughter at home and she can hold your counter but she's will simply sworn to that way how do you do the same thing at work with with people then
0: with my team I'm very much a coach Um, so my job title is managing director but I like to coach so I like to quiz I like to delve deeper but I don't like to ever provide the answer I like them to provide the answers to me Um, and in addition to that I believe that naturally when people are comfortable in their role they can grow to cut corners because they're They're well rehearsed in what it is they do. Um, For me, it's about procedures. I think if there's, like I said earlier, rules, if there's procedures in place for how you're meant to operate, what it means is that you're all working towards the same aims and same goals for the company whilst you're here. Personally, what you earn is setting up your personal life. But the work that you do whilst in this business is for the benefit Off this business first and foremost without this business we don't have roles we don't have jobs not here anyway we'd have to go elsewhere for that so my team i always start i work budget back so i always tell them what the budget is for the year and then i talk about the journey and how we're going to get there weekly it's the usual the one-to-ones the catch-ups monthly reviews half yearly appraisals so what you trying to capture as much information um, on your team about whether they're happy in their role, performing their duties, what the market conditions are. Because in, for example, what we do, my team are always getting headhunted. If they've been in situ for five to six years, you're not in the situation that long if you're not good at your job, especially in recruitment. So it's something that I have to constantly tap into my guys um, to make sure that they're happy Um, In addition to that, the company that I work for, their training is second to none. And we don't control the training for the individuals. They choose their train. So if a member of my team wants to become a director, they can do the necessary training to become a director. I can't stop that. Which in previous companies, I'm pretty sure I've had it in previous roles where I wanted something, but it required my line manager to sign it off. Well, technically that's somebody you've always got a glass ceiling then. With in our company, you very much can be or become what you want to become if you're willing to put the work in, if you're willing to put the effort in. So, yeah, we have a coaching culture and I believe the coaching culture allows the individuals to bring their best selves to work. When they don't, I I understand you can't be a hundred percent every day, but I want it majority of the time. I do i do i can't afford to not be the best version of myself when in this business as i'm being judged by my team and and then i'm being judged by our temporary workforce because they look at me as their director nobody's judging them or they are but they're not telling them yeah my team are more likely to tell me about something i've done wrong than they would do a colleague because it's me they're looking up to with their colleague they'll just think oh that person isn't answering the phone as fast. But they won't say it. But when they get me on a one-to-one, they'll say, oh, that person ain't answering the phone. (laughs) So it's obviously a thought that just doesn't come out, but it comes to me. So, yeah, my big thing is um, we have open meetings, we have open discussion, open forum, um, where we look at um, incremental gains we can make so changes that we can change in the branch that don't really cost us much, but should improve productivity. So when you... Include oh I for when I when I've included my team in the vision, the journey, what I would like, they can turn up every day and deliver their best version of themselves.
1: They can take it on board and make it their own and own it rather than just being something that's out there and it's like oh this is arbitrary kind of thing.
0: Yeah, rather than just being a function of a machine, they understand the machine don't work without them.
1: So. Yeah, it's in, it's important. It sounds like you have a high level of accountability to your team as well, and as they can hold you massively accountable, which is not which is not always the case. I work for them at the end of the day. Um, yes, my job is to
0: deliver profits to uh, our, our larger group. However, on a day-to-day, it's my team members who require my support, my guidance, my knowledge whatever it may be. Um, So yeah, I'm aware that I'm um, ultimately here to serve them, um, to enable them to achieve whatever it is they want in their careers. I'm very big on building people up um, and seeing them flourish. I want you to get good enough that you can leave me, but you don't, do you know what I mean? I I like that. I like to see the development in, in my team. I like to see people enjoy success, enjoy the money that comes with the success. I do. It's a shame that money is such a uh, a big thing in business, but, or not a big thing in business, a cherished thing, yeah? Because technically it's what makes the world go round. But I like seeing people earn decent commissions and, yeah, just super, I like seeing people be successful, whatever success that is to them. And as I say to most people, your job, unless you own it, it's a vehicle for you to own your dreams, have your dreams. So yeah, and that's all I want for anybody who comes into my team or joins our business. You just want them to be
1: successful. This podcast is sponsored by Mindset Shift, a leadership development company focused on helping you lead from the inside out not from the outside in. We work one-on-one with senior leaders in organisations. We work directly with HR and other parts of organisations to help you create an authentic culture where your words and your values and your actions align. We help you to navigate the complexity and the chaos that you'll experience day in and day out. And we have a couple of openings for the one-to-one coaching this year but that's something that you're interested in if you want to work with a coach who can help you navigate this year to ensure that you're intentional to take your leadership skills personally and professionally to the next level send me an email at hello at mindsetshift.co.uk or just go to the website www.mindsetshift.co.uk uk. Right, let's get back into today's episode it Asks in one of your team to describe you in three words, what do you think they'll say? Handsome. Uh...
0: <laughs> Let me get rid of that one. Let me get rid of that.
1: <laughs> you never know, you know. Do I surprised you? Why <laughs> you with that one? Like,
0: yeah. I think they'd say um, inspirational. I think they'd say uh, fun. And I think they'd also say knowledgeable. knowledgeable. That's what I think they'd say. Yeah, definitely you've got a knowledge in recruitment and how sort of people work in the recruitment world, and how hiring managers operate. I, I definitely inspire my team and uh, I love to have a laugh. I think having a laugh's funny. You spend more time with these people than you do your actual family. So it
1: should be enjoyable, yet professional. How do you inject that? Because that, that's something I still think a lot of organisations struggle to do. They have this idea that says professional means straight-laced, boring, no fun. Or is a complete opposite. So in your world, especially... You guys are on the ground day in, day out, so there's no it's not necessarily even hybrid thing. how do you inject fun into the work that you do?
0: Um, a variety of ways actually. Um, so I have a um I know, do you remember the Wheel of Fortune? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a Wheel of Fortune in my office with loads of different things on it. I've got quiz books, I've got um various different listening exercises that I'll stop the team. I'll literally stop my operation dead and i'll say right everyone phones down pen up get your book get your pads out a to z i want country for every letter and things like that i just yeah i just try and change the day because the days so our days in recruitment it's sales you're always selling whether i'm selling my services to a client or a role to a candidate you're always selling um, and sometimes what you need is to, to break that up, um, and the way to break that up is by going out, um, for example, I will go out, my lunch break, when I'll come back, walk back in with a bunch of muffins, a bunch of donuts, and I'll be like, right, I'm going to do a quiz, first person to get an answer gets a donut. So it's just, it's not even a, um, it's not rocket science, it's just, what do people like? And what makes people enjoy being around other groups of people. Um, Especially if you're talking to other people on the phone the majority of the time. So let's think about it. They're sat in an office amongst these people, but they're talking to other people the majority of the time, not the person next to them. So to get them together, I do quizzes, little giveaways, um, we have, uh, like I said, the Wheel of Fortune, which there's various different prizes on that. Um, we do night out, office night out. In fact, I've got, what we've called it the summer soiree. So we've got a soiree at the end of June, which is basically in our office. We will get together, I'll bring my barbecue in, um, we'll do some meats and get some food cooking on the grill um but we'll do it's all on a friday afternoon so we'll work all day and then i'll finish the guys at about half two three and then from that time we'll just party have a few drinks uh, for those that do drink because i do have muslim uh members of your team who don't drink um yeah so my my way of doing it is is by being inclusive and and just trying to have as much fun and breaking up the day from the norm what the norm is, try and change that um, every now and then. In addition to that, we have uh, team awards every month. I have a golden box where people can put your name in the box for something you may have done for them. Um, And all of these come out monthly. So it's not just about my praise, it's about peer-to-peer. Yeah, peer-to-peer as well. I I think sometimes peer-to-peer is more effective as well, if I'm understanding you. so yeah, we do we do a lot to to get the guys to become engaged in having a laugh but being professional. Um we have now our office TikTok. TikTok is currently fun and I'm sure moving forward it will become more like we interview on TikTok a clean candidate. But right now we can do dances and stuff. So <laughs> copy trends. So um that's something that we do uh that we've we've done and what it does it just means people can have a laugh and you know changes what we were doing for 10-15 minutes and then right back to work um so yeah there are some of the things that i've tried to do in my team i give people different sort of champion roles so i've got someone who looks after our social gatherings and our social settings so they're important in that aspect but you know people can say oh what are we next going out again? And that person has to tell them, it's not me, it's it's nothing to do with me. I'm waiting for them to tell me when we're going out too. You know what I mean. So yeah, everybody feels like it's a collaborative approach to us working well together um, and then ultimately delivering the company's aims, which is always the end message. The end message is, listen, we're here working for a company, we've got to deliver these, but let's have fun whilst we do it.
1: There's nothing wrong with us being ourselves, having a laugh, in and getting to the result so you know everyone knows the, the end goal and the how to get to the end goal there's a freeness to bring you and do you in that way rather than just being like this is the targeted tailored approach which i guess which makes a massive difference
0: 100 i think if i had 10 robots it would be lovely because that's what factories that's how factories work isn't it so factories are profitable because you have personally or you have a function everyone has one function but i think in the way business is now and especially with recruitment the fact that the, the the candidate market and the way the world has been since the pandemic my guys have got to be a lot more consultative so robots would not work in my industry i don't feel right now um i feel that what you need is that consultative approach where you can talk to a client not just about their recruitment but how their business has been impacted or what the business plans are for the next year to two. So I think I've got that in my team. I'm very lucky that everybody in there is quite established. I've got a trainee um, joining in July um, and I've got a new person starting next week. But again, very experienced in the recruitment sector. Um, and we can't wait to have them on board because what they're coming in here to do is two separate revenue streams that you've never had before. So if it works and it goes well,
1: do you ever get nervous about? Obviously, AI has been the talk of the town the last couple of months, and how's it going to take certain industries over? why of them, mentioned mentioned, has been recruitment. What are your thoughts on it? AI is already
0: pretty much involved, isn't it, in job boards and when we talk about analytics, and you know, it it's it, it, it's 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 already there. Um, I'm not fearful, not yet. I do believe that there's at least another 10 years in recruitment before it's implemented to the point where the people are needed. Um, I still think now people buy from people. Um, And recruitment is about that, isn't it? It's about me being able to identify what you're looking for or... The right type of service you're looking for from a recruitment agency, rather than me, automating what I think you need from a recruitment agency, which is what robots do. Is it? Is it not? Yeah. So, yeah, I think you know recruitment should be collaborative. I use I've used that word a, a few times today, but recruitment should be. It shouldn't be a dictatorship in either in either direction. Um, you the client need our services we need your business let's talk um it's a two-way it's a two-way street um so yeah I've, i i i i do believe that and um i think robots or ai if you if you want to use the correct term for it takes away that personal approach but as i gave you the example earlier two salesmen come to your house house to sell you windows, you go with the one that you build the rapport with, even if he costs more. There's nothing in this world that can't be done cheaper than what you're quoted, no matter what it is, yeah? No matter what. If you said, I want a new pavement or a new driveway for my house, sure, there's a guy out there that can do it for six, and he'll do a very good job, but there's a guy out there who's not that good. He'll offer you for three. I'll do it for three grand. You can go with it, but the the results aren't going to be as good. So, to me, it's it's AI has got a long way to go before it fully takes over. But I guess we can all see where the world is heading. Um, so Amazon Amazon have got the the you know the walk in warehouse, and they've got the robots, all robots that serve you. So you can all you, you can. My point is, you can already see it. And, you know, Tesla with the self-driving car. Well, you can... it, 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 it It's going in that direction. Um, what the impact on recruitment's going to be, I don't know. Because I feel that, no matter what, food is always needed. And I work in food. I work in catering and hospitality. 24-7, 365, people need feeding. Always. Um... And someone said, yeah, if you were to say, surely robots could do that. I don't know. I don't think they could. You know, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Who's to to actually have an answer? I actually think it's always going to be a mixture of both, where the technology will keep on growing, but you're always going to need that human element to do certain things, like even to some of the nuances that you were talking about. Like right now, it's, AI needs data to be fed into it on a consistent basis. But there are so many nuances that companies have, that individual companies have, that you can't just use a one-size-fits-all kind of approach, that you're going to need to talk to people. So there's that specialised element that humans are always going to have, well, hopefully over technology, apart from Elon, who's trying to build human brains.
0: <laughs> He's doing mad- madness. Yes. What's funny? I actually, I was at a networking event for, I don't know if you know Tag Network. I've seen it, but yeah. Right, so I was at a Tag Network event last week. Um, I'm not in any of the pictures because I was late, because I was at a grading, I was at kickboxing grading. So I never turned up till nine, By then all the pictures had been taken and I'd like to add all the food had been eaten. But I... <laughs> but I turned up nonetheless and um, I actually spoke to a young lawyer who works in AI law. She said it was boring. I said, boring? No, but when I said that, she told me why it was boring. And I guess if you're reading page after page of artificial law (laughs) for robots or machines, machinery, then... It can be boring, but I said, but what that isn't, that's where the world's going. So the fact that you're learning it now, won't you be, like, ahead of the game? And one of the leaders in AI law, considering you're doing all the, you're learning everything now. So, you know, when we talk about kill commands and what, what the robot's capable of doing and she's doing all of that, and I was mind-blown, like, wow. So I know that, we're not far. We're not far from walking down the road and seeing a robot drive our bus or something something like that. I know we're not that far away. But yeah, yeah. is it it's interesting, but it's not for me. the closest I get to AI and robots is Playstation five, if I'm honest. I'm not gonna sit there and hey, I'm privy to a game of Warzone or two, Mate. I'm not gonna deny it. I'm not gonna deny it.
1: You know what? You should um I'm not sure. Still have it. You should put on your. You got Oculus. You should put on your Oculus and do kickboxing with it. That'll be an interesting experience because especially your, your, you you you've been at yeah. There is.
0: And so what is there? Is there a kickboxing sort of demo?
1: There's a there's a kickboxing one yeah, and very very like realistic. Um, I did um, was a Meta thing like last year, some tech event.
0: Okay, I never knew that.
1: And you put it on. a like, you in the environment and you're you're in it? So will be interested to see how you fare.
0: Do you know what? I did go to, Um, and I don't know if you know of them. Do you know of Otherworld? Right, Otherworld are a VR space. So very similar to what you say at this event where you go, you put a headset on, and you put in a, like I I don't want to call it a, I'm sure it's the size of, probably a bit bigger than a sunbed, but you st- you stood up. I've obviously never been on a sunbed. We don't need them. But my point is, my point it is, it's a, it's 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 a, it's a sphere, and you stand in it, and so you can't you can't come out of it, but you're given a sort of controller, and you're put in a world, but you you win food and drinks, and cause it's a bar, Intrigued? yeah, looking up other world. I think they've got a few. They've just opened one in Birmingham. There's some more around the, the country. I'm pretty sure there's some in London and Manchester and Liverpool and but well, that's a VR space that when you go in, they've got a bar, but you win your drinks by playing games.
1: Oh man, the world is moving really, really quickly, but it's more a reason why you gotta you gotta stay ahead of it or stay with it. At least to understand what's happening around you, which is key. And you know, time is moving quickly, so last two questions how do you define
0: leadership leading from the front but willing to stand amongst the team so for me I would define leadership as a I hate using the word collaborative but a good leader stands amongst his soldiers and goes to battle with his soldiers so is that so yeah I don't think, is that how I would define it? Or is that what it looks like to me? That's what it looks like to me. How would I define it? I'm trying to think of the right words to say now, Champagne. Um, I would say, I will say, I define leadership as a role in which you're responsible for the development of others, allowing them to shine whilst ultimately being responsible for the failures of each and every individual of your team or your business. That's how I would define leadership. Stressful. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, did you say I had to think about that? Because I'm thinking, you know what? There's all these angles. There's all these angles. But what would I define it? How would I define it? And for me, it is definitely about standing amongst my team, going to battle with my team, hopefully making each individual on our team more successful but also understanding that I'm responsible for the failures which is stressful so yeah that's how I would define it but ultimately it's very rewarding um when you get it right so I don't think there's any one way to define it I think there's there's so many there's so many strands to leadership um and I think it changes based on your business's performance at the time when you're asked, if that makes sense. If your business is super successful, um, leadership to walk in the park, it's easy. If you're three years into making losses, leadership isn't for you. (laughs) You I mean, I'm a big football fan. I'm a season ticket holder at Old Trafford. So again, another thing that I do, and um, I don't know if you know football or if it's a thing for you, but well, so you know a lot about football. <laughs> you know, I don't want to say bottled it, but bottled it. Anyway, um, yeah, Uh All right. Perfect example of poor leadership, but somebody who's still a leader. Not in my eyes, but in Gareth in Southgate's eyes. Harry Maguire, right? Perfect example, Man U fans, we can't stand him, yeah. But he's our club captain, right? Hardly plays, but gets picked for England every single time. How? And if you ask Gareth Southgate, Gareth Southgate will tell you because he's a great leader. <laughs> so why? Because he's not a great defender. So it's got to be it's got to be his leadership qualities. But that's that. So. That's why I say it's hard to define leadership as any one thing. I think it it differs depending on where you sat, what it is you're doing, whether it's a positive uh, leadership appointment or a negative one. But that was I, I, I thought that was the best example I could quickly give of somebody who's known as a leader um, in his club and in his country, but us fans, don't view him as a leader. Yeah, no one ever. No one's ever. Do you know what I mean? Even even if I go to you guys, so again, we're going football here, so it's a bit away from business, but still very um, relevant. Three years ago, Granite Xhaka was rude. Rude to you guys. Rude. He swore at you through his shirt. Like he was rude, but he was also your club captain. And, what? that's not a leader. That's. But what he can say is, well, at that time, which he has done, he was going through this, he was getting death threats, and okay, so what, he ultimately became a bad leader. But if he'd won the league this year, he'd have been a good leader. So this is why I say leadership can't be defined as any one thing. It's I think it, it it's subjective to where you are at that time when you're asked. I think that I think that's fair.
1: I think that's fair. It's, it's, it speaks to the complexity of, of the word because regardless of leadership always encompasses two things. It's either or three things actually. It's the individual, it's the environment, and it's people. And not one of those two, three things are ever the same. So you it's like you said, it's a consistent change and going through that. But for me, it's also the awareness of that. And that's why I was asked for that definition because when you have an awareness of what it means to you or what it is that you want it to be, then when those three elements are changing, you can almost ever flow with that rather than just giving that one thing. So that for me is is quite key. And it goes back to my last one. You have been very successful in all that you have done, whether it's the role that you have right now, won awards like last year and more, I'm sure to come, you know, getting more out there, getting on the stage and you're growing. Listen, I'm, I'm speaking into it. It's coming. It's coming. Don't worry about it. You got, got a couple more words coming. Don't worry about that. <laughs> like I'm going to go home and burn some sage. Just to... <laughs> For you, what does like that ultimate success look like when you think about the future?
0: Right. So it's funny you actually ask this because I was talking to somebody the other day who's got his own business. And I asked him what the end goal was like. He said, what does the end look like? He said, look, I haven't thought about it. I said, okay, that's interesting. So I said, so do you plan to run your business until you're 70, which is retirement age? And He looked at me like, no. I said, do you plan to sell it? Do you plan to give it to your children? He's like, I've not actually thought about that. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then he flicked it on me. It is gone. What does the end look like for you? Said retiring at 45. (laughs) If I can retire at 45, I'll be happy. Not happening. That's seven years away. Um, I think for me, ultimate success would be um, I'm very passionate about EDI and I've done the profit making in sales for the last 21 years. Ultimate success for me, in the next 10 to 15 years, if I were to see more people like me at my level, whether it was internally in the company that I worked for or externally, but I mentored these individuals, that for me would be success. Um... I don't want to put a monetary value on it because we all make money and we've all got pension pots and we all have investments. If I'm talking about the legacy that I leave behind or what I believe my sole purpose is if we were to strip it all back, I believe I'm a Samaritan. I believe God put me on this planet to be a Samaritan to help others. Um, I've done very well in getting to where I've got to based on my ability and I believe that there's more people like me who are overlooked just because of who they are and for me I would like to see more diversity at the top of a lot of the major corporations in the UK that for me is is success and I guess that success for me now because I've made millions in turnover and I've done hundreds of thousands in net profits and do you know what I mean and When you work for a corporate, when you make a lot of money, the reality of it is the following year, they want you to make more. So that success level, I want to make this much money doesn't end because once you achieve it, the the bar gets moved. I think having more people like me in senior roles in large corporations or large firms, if I could play a part in that shift, I know I can't change the country but I can talk more, and I can use my voice more, and I can mentor more, I can keynote, speak more, I can, I wanna, I feel like I wanna ignite our people to, to, to reach for the stars. I feel like, for me, that's what the ultimate success would be moving forward in my life and my career, or, my working career—that's what I feel I I would like to see, and what would make me ride off into the sunset very, very happy. Yeah, I've got again, like I said, show paid, uh, We can talk about having a pension, and that's by the by. I think to ride off into the sunset, knowing I left that ladder, and there's numerous people climbing up the ladder. That 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 for me would would would, yeah. I could retire happily like that. Now, how that works with my current role, I have no idea, I I have no idea. But yeah, for me, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see that when I'm done. I would like to know that my children can, well, I know what my children can become, but I'd like to know that the barriers to stop them are no longer there.
1: Yeah. I can understand resonate with that.
0: Some people say, is that all the success you want? Do you know how hard it is to remove these barriers? These barriers are huge. So, yeah. And that that's that's what I mean. It means some things mean more than money. And that means more than money. Sorry to anybody watching who doesn't who has been like, oh, watched it all for that,
1: and that's how it ends. <laughs> I'm just being honest, but that's the way you Talk though, that's it's important. It's important to me, important to you, and everyone needs to have what that version of it is to them. And it's interesting to say that. So, I've in the work I do, and having done 140 episodes, various leaders across the world from billionaires, CEOs, creators, founder, whatever. When I was when I asked that question around what success looked like for them, majority of them actually all of them have never described anything to do with money. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's important to have a generation of wealth and legacy or that kind of stuff, and we've talked about that. But when they talk about the the impact that they wanna have or people who have done the money stuff and moved into stuff that's just purely impact and purpose-driven, it is always around, I wanna make things better for either for my kids coming up, the next generation, climate change, and those are like the three main things that come up. And actually, so when I was talking about, actually, for them, it was actually being a very good parent because they didn't have that model to them and they wanted to break that generational cycle. So parenting, marriage, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, and those are the real deep stuff, which is not easy. Money is still linear in the sense. You can map Miller. like, I want to make X and figure out a way to get there. What you're describing, it is tough as because it's been there for, for forever, how long. So it's not something, it's not an easy mission or purpose to have to say boldly and courageously. So that's what I'm like, actually, you know, it's a very powerful purpose and a very powerful vision statement to have, like, that's what success looks like to me. And I don't know how I'm going to get there, but that's what I want to achieve. It's super important.
0: That's what it is without a shadow of a doubt. And as I said earlier, you know, I grew up in the church, so... My role on this planet is as a Samaritan. That's what my role is. If I strip all the money, the job title, if you strip that all away, what's my purpose? I believe that's my purpose. My purpose is to help people and to help others and to lift others up. Because of where we are in the whole ED&I world, um, now there's more of a a focus on um, equality or equity um and you know uh, companies showing that they recruit diverse talent um now I, what i want to see is that diverse talent pushed to the top um because that i don't believe happens i do believe that we all recruit and all these companies recruit diversely but then the question is how many of them promote and push that talent through to the top um because normally to get to the top it's people that bring you not H R or personal departments that push you. So, yeah, that 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 needs to change. Thank you,
1: thank you for this interview, which has been very eye opening. Um, sharing your experiences, a lot of laughter, which I absolutely love. See that joy is just there, is resonating. But this is this is the energy. This is just you, just doing you, and I and I love it. Honestly, I appreciate it, man. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And
0: you know, again, we spoke about sort of what what I do at the at the recent conference, and you know, my LinkedIn. Admittedly, as I put on that day, my LinkedIn is is my Achilles heel. It's the one thing that I avoid, um, just because cancel culture for me is a very real thing. And I haven't worked as hard as I've worked to be cancelled because I've shared something that was deemed inappropriate or the wrong platform. Uh, So, yeah, but you will see more of me and um, any of your viewers as well. Um, Please feel free to add me on LinkedIn, Dan Braithwaite, Sir RP. Um, Yeah, because I just aim to be more visible. And, you know, I can be that without breaking the rules on linkedin
1: but i also think it also adds as you think about your mission that you said you don't know how you're going to get there well a number of things that you're doing now whether it's the talks that you're going to be doing at the um blackbridge Business Week in in, Birmingham in a couple of weeks or even people seeing you more recognizing rather well, there are young directors in the, the recruitment game who are actually doing it really really well or if listen to you talk about your team like, there's so much stuff that people can learn from you there's always a debate back and forth, but I still believe that it's hard for people to see something or to be something that they can't see. So the more that people see you, recognize you in the position that you hold and the work that you do, it also encourages other people. And that's the way, whether you, you think about it or not, that you actually start to move that dial and encourage other people to step up into those spaces and places. So by you doing your hard work, you're already doing and moving in the direction of what you said you wanted to achieve. So let's keep on doing it. This is everyday leadership. See you all next week. While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Hi, I'm Marilyn Zachauer. I'm the founder and CEO of a organizational development consultancy called Cosmic Centaurus. Um, And what we do is we help leaders who truly believe in the power of creating great organizations to unlock um, the capabilities of their people and their companies and deliver on their strategy.